Chapter six, part two of Mount Royal, volume three by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six. I will have no mercy on him. Part two. Leonard spent half an hour with his son. The child had escaped from babyhood in the year that had gone. He was now a bright, sentient creature, eager to express his thoughts, to gather knowledge, an active, vivacious being, full of health and energy whatever duties christabel had neglected during her husband's absence the boy had at least suffered no neglect never had childhood developed under happier conditions the father could find no fault in the nursery though there was a vague feeling in his mind that everything was wrong at mount royal why the deuce did she fill the house with people while i was away he muttered to himself in the solitude of his dressing-room where his clothes had been put ready for him and candles lighted by his swiss valet the dressing-room was at the end of the corridor most remote from christabel's apartments it communicated with the room leonard had slept in during his boyhood and that opened again into his gun-room the fact that these rooms had been prepared for him told him plainly enough that he and his wife were henceforth to lead divided lives the event of last october his year of absence had built up a wall between them which he for the time being at least felt himself powerless to knock down can she suspect can she know he asked himself pausing in his dressing to stand staring at the fire with moody brow and troubled eyes no that's hardly possible and yet her whole manner is changed she holds me at a distance every look every tone just now was a defiance of course i know that she loved that man loved him first last always never caring a straw for me she was too careful of herself had been brought up too well to go wrong like other women but she loved him i would never have brought him inside these doors if i had not known that she would take care of herself i tested and tried her to the uttermost and well i took my change out of him mr tregonell dressed himself a little more carefully than he was wont to dress thinking for the most part that anything which suited him was good enough for his friends and went down to the drawing-room feeling like a visitor in a strange house half inclined to wonder how he would be received by his wife and his wife's guests he who had always ruled supreme in that house choosing his visitors for his own pleasure subjugating all tastes and habits of other people to his own convenience now felt as if he were only there on sufferance it was early when he entered the drawing-room and the baron de cazalet was the only occupant of that apartment he was standing in a lounging attitude with his back against the mantelpiece and his handsome person set off by evening dress that regulation costume does not afford much scope to the latent love of finery which still lurks in the civilized man as if to prove his near relationship to the bead and feather-wearing savage but de cazalet had made himself as gorgeous as he could with jewelled studs embroidered shirt satin under waistcoat amber silk stockings and queen and shoes he was assuredly handsome but he had just that style of beauty which to the fastidious mind is more revolting than positive ugliness dark brown eyes strongly arched eyebrows an aquiline nose a sensual mouth a heavy jaw a faultless complexion of the french plum-box order large regular teeth of glittering whiteness a small delicately trained moustache with waxed ends and hair of oily sheen odorous of pomade divine made up the catalogue of his charms leonard stood looking at him doubtfully as if he were a hitherto unknown animal where did my wife pick him up and why he asked himself i should have thought he was just the kind of man she would detest how glad you must be to get back to your larrys and panatis 
said the baron smiling blandly i'm uncommonly glad to get back to my horses and dogs answered leonard flinging himself into a large armchair by the fire and taking up a newspaper have you been long in the west about a fortnight but i have been only three days at mount royal i had the honour to renew my acquaintance with mrs tregonell last august at zermatt and she was good enough to say that if ever i found myself in this part of the country she would be pleased to receive me in her house i needn't tell you that with such a temptation in view i was very glad to bend my steps westward i spent ten days on board a friend's yacht between dartmouth and the lizard landed at penzance last tuesday and posted here where i received a more than hospitable welcome you are a great traveller i understand i doubt if i have done as much as you have in that way i have seldom travelled for the sake of travelling i have lived in the tents of the arabs i have bivouacked on the pampas and enjoyed life in all the cities of the south from valparaiso to cartagena but i can boast no mountaineering exploits or scientific discoveries and i never read a paper at the geographical you look a little too fond of yourself for mountaineering said leonard smiling grimly at the baron's portly figure and all-pervading sleekness well yes i like a wild life but i have no relish for absolute hardship the thermometer below zero a doubtful supply of provisions pemmican roasted skunk for supper without any currant jelly ah no i love my knees at mine inn he threw out his fine expanse of padded chest and shoulders and surveyed the spacious lamp-lit room with an approving smile this no doubt was the kind of inn at which he loved to take his ease a house full of silly women ready to be subjugated by his florid good looks and shallow accomplishments the ladies now came straggling in first emily st aubin and then dopsy whose attempts at conversation were coldly received by the county maiden dopsy and mopsy's home-made gowns cheap laces and frillings and easy flippancy were not agreeable to the st aubin sisters it was not that the st aubin manners which always savoured of the stable and farmyard were more refined or elegant but the st aubins arrogated to themselves the right to be vulgar and resented free and easy manners in two young persons who were obviously poor and obviously obscure as to their surroundings if their gowns had been made by a west end tailor and they had been able to boast of intimate acquaintance with a duchess and two or three countesses their flippancy might have been tolerable nay even amusing to the two miss st aubins but girls who went nowhere and knew nobody had no right to attempt smartness of speech and deserved to be sat upon to dopsy succeeded mopsy then some men then mrs st aubin and her younger sister clara then mrs tregonell in a red gown draped with old spanish lace and with diamond stars in her hair a style curiously different from those quiet dinner dresses she had been wont to wear a year ago leonard looked at her in blank amazement just as he had looked at their first meeting she who had been like the violet sheltering itself among its leaves now obviously dressed for effect and as obviously courted admiration the dinner was cheerful to riotousness everybody had something to say anecdotes were told and laughter was frequent and loud the st aubin girls who had deliberately snubbed the sisters vandeleur were not above conversing with the brother and finding him a kindred spirit in horsiness and dogginess took him at once into their confidence and were on the friendliest terms before dinner was finished de cazalet sat next his hostess and talked exclusively to her mr fitzjesse had miss bridgeman on his left hand and conversed with her in gentle murmurs save when in his quiet voice and with his seeming innocent smile he told some irresistibly funny story 
some touch of character seen with a philosophic eye for the general joy of the whole table very different was the banquet of to-day from that quiet dinner on the first night of mr hamley's visit to mount royal that dinner at which leonard watched his wife so intensely eager to discover to what degree she was affected by the presence of her first lover he watched her to-night at the head of her brilliantly lighted dinner-table no longer the old subdued light of low-shaded lamps but the radiance of innumerable candles in lofty silver candelabra shining over a striking decoration of vivid crimson asters and spreading palm-leaves he watched her helplessly hopelessly knowing that he and she were ever so much farther apart than they had been in the days before he brought angus hamley to mount royal those miserable discontented days when he had fretted himself into a fever of jealousy and vague suspicion and had thought to find a cure by bringing the man he feared and hated into his home so that he might know for certain how deep the wrong was which this man's very existence seemed to inflict upon him to bring those two who had loved and parted face to face to watch and listen to fathom the thoughts of each that had been the process natural and congenial to his jealous temper but the result had been an uncomfortable one and now he saw his wife whose heart he had tried to break hating her because he had failed to make her love him just as remote and unapproachable as of old what a fool i was to marry her he thought after replying somewhat at random to mrs st aubyn's last remark upon the superiority of dorkings to spaniards from a culinary point of view it was my determination to have my own way that wrecked me i couldn't submit to be conquered by a girl to have the wife i had set my heart upon when i was a boy stolen from me by the first effeminate foppling my silly mother invited to mount royal i had never imagined myself with any other woman for my wife never really cared for any other woman this was the bent of mr tregonell's reflections as he sat in his place at that animated assembly adding nothing to its mirth or even to its noise albeit in the past his voice had ever been loudest his laugh most resonant he felt more at his ease after dinner when the woman had left the brilliant de cazalet slipping away soon after them although not until he had finished his host's la rose and when mr st aubyn expanded himself in county talk enlightening the wanderer as to the progress of events during his absence while mr fitzjesse sat blandly puffing his cigarette a silent observer of the speech and gestures of the county magnate speculating from a scientific point of view as to how much of this talk was purely automatic an inane drivel which would go on just the same if half the squire's brain had been scooped out jack vandeleur smoked and drank brandy and water while little monty discoursed to him in confidential tones upon the racing year which was now expiring at newmarket the men who had made pots of money and the men who had been beggared for life there seemed to be no medium between those extremes when the host rose captain vandeleur was for an immediate adjournment to billiards but to his surprise leonard walked off to the drawing-room aren't you coming asked jack dejectedly not to-night i have been too long away from feminine society not to appreciate the novelty of an evening with ladies you and monty can have the table to yourselves unless mr fitzjesse i never play replied the gentle journalist but i rather like sitting in a billiard-room and listening to the conversation of the players it is always so full of ideas captain vandeleur and mr montague went their way and the other men repaired to the drawing-room whence came the sound of the piano and the music of a rich baritone trolling out a popular air from the most fashionable opera bouffe that one piece which all paris was bent upon hearing at the same moment whereby seats in the little boulevard theatre were selling at a ridiculous premium
de cazalet was singing to mrs tregonell's accompaniment a patois song with a refrain which would have been distinctly indecent if the tails of all the words had not been clipped off so as to reduce the language to mild idiocy the kind of song one could fancy being fashionable in the decline of the roman empire said fitz jesse when apuleius was writing his golden ass don't you know after the song came a duet from traviata in which christabel sang with a dramatic power which leonard never remembered to have heard from her before the two voices harmonized admirably and there were warm expressions of delight from the listeners very accomplished man de cazalet said colonel blathwaite uncommonly useful in a country house sings and plays and recites and acts rather puffy and short-winded in his elocution if he were a horse one would call him a roarer but always ready to amuse quite an acquisition who is he asked leonard looking glum my wife picked him up in switzerland i hear that is to say he seems to have made himself agreeable or useful to mrs tregonell and miss bridgman and in a moment of ill-advised hospitality my wife asked him here is he received anywhere does anybody know anything about him he is received in a few houses rich houses where the hostess goes in for amateur acting and tableaux vivants don't you know and people know a good deal about him nothing actually to his detriment the man was a full-blown adventurer when he had the good luck to get hold of a rich wife he pays his way now i believe but the air of the adventurer hangs round him still a man of irish parentage brought up in jersey what can you expect of him does he drink like a fish but his capacity to drink is only to be estimated by cubic space the amount he can hold his brain and constitution have been educated up to alcohol nothing can touch him further colonel blathwaite we want you to give us the wonderful one-horse shay and after that the baron is going to recite james lee's wife said mrs tregonell while her guests ranged themselves into an irregular semicircle and the useful miss bridgman placed a prie-dieu chair in a commanding position for the reciter to lean upon gracefully or hug convulsively in the more energetic passages of his recitation everybody seems to have gone mad thought mr tregonell as he seated himself and surveyed the assembly all intent and expectant his wife sat near the piano with de cazalet bending over her talking in just that slightly lowered voice which gives an idea of confidential relations yet may mean no more than a vain man's desire to appear the accepted worshipper of a beautiful woman never had leonard seen angus hamley's manner so distinctively attentive as was the air of this hibernian adventurer just the last man whose attentions i should have supposed she would tolerate thought leonard but any garbage is food for a woman's vanity the wonderful one-horse shay was received with laughter and delight dopsy and mopsy were in raptures how could a horrid american have written anything so clever but then it was colonel blathwaite's inimitable elocution which gave a charm to the whole thing the poem was poor enough no doubt if one read it to oneself colonel blathwaite was adorably funny it's a tremendous joke as you do it said mopsy twirling her sunflower fan a great yellow flower like the sign of the sun in on a black satin ground how delightful to be so gifted now for james lee's wife said the colonel who accepted the damsel's compliments for what they were worth you'll have to be very attentive if you want to find out what the poem means for the baron's delivery is a trifle spasmodic 
and now de cazalet stepped forward with a vellum-bound volume in his hand dashed back his long sleek hair with a large white hand glanced at the page coughed faintly and then began in thick hurried accents which kept getting thicker and more hurried as the poem advanced it was given not in lines but in spasms panted out till at the close the baron sank exhausted breathless like the hunted deer when the hounds close round him beautiful exquisite too pathetic exclaimed a chorus of feminine voices i only wish the browning society could hear that they would be delighted said mr faddie who piqued himself upon being in the literary world it makes browning so much easier to understand remarked mr fitzjesse with his habitual placidity brings the whole thing home to you makes it ever so much more real don't you know said mrs torrington poor james lee sighed mopsy poor mrs lee ejaculated dopsy did he die asked miss st aubyn did she run away from him inquired her sister the railroad pace at which the baron fired off the verses having left all those among his hearers who did not know the text in a state of agreeable uncertainty so the night wore on with more songs and duets from opera and opera bouffe no more of beethoven's grand bursts of melody now touched with the solemnity of religious feeling now melting in human pathos now light and airy changeful and capricious as the skylark's song a very fountain of joyous fancies mr tregonell had never appreciated beethoven being indeed as unmusical a soul as god ever created but he thought it a more respectable thing that his wife should sit at her piano playing an order of music which only the privileged few could understand than that she would delight the common herd by singing which savoured of music-hall and burlesque is she not absolutely delicious said mrs torrington beating time with her fan how proud i should be of myself if i could sing like that how proud you must be of your wife such verve such elan so thoroughly in the spirit of the thing that is the only kind of singing anybody really cares for now one goes to the opera to hear them scream through lohengrin or tannhauser and then one goes into society and talks about wagner but it is music like this one enjoys yes it's rather jolly said leonard staring moodily at his wife in the act of singing a refrain of b b b which was supposed to represent the bleating of an innocent lamb and the baron's voice goes so admirably with mrs tregonell's yes his voice goes admirably said leonard sorely tempted to blaspheme weren't you charmed to find us all so gay and bright here nothing to suggest the sad break-up you had last year i felt so intensely sorry for you all yet i was selfish enough to be glad i had left before it happened did they don't think me morbid for asking did they bring him home here yes they brought him home and in which room did they put him one always wants to know these things though it can do one no good in the blue room the second from the end of the corridor next but one to mine that's rather awfully near do you believe in spiritual influences have you ever had a revelation good gracious is it really so late everybody seems to be going let me get your candle said leonard eagerly making a dash for the hall and so ended his first evening at home with that imbecile refrain bay 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 repeating itself in his ears End of chapter six